When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We have a really exciting show to get to. For the first time, we're actually going to be joined by a member of the Orioles organization, as Spencer Watkins, a right-handed pitcher who recently signed a minor league contract with the Orioles, will be joining us later on. In addition, we're going to discuss some of the minor league signings and waiver claims that have taken place over this offseason that we have not had a chance to address on previous shows. But first, as a reminder, we're brought to you by Mercer Floor and Carpet Home, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer. Uh, one quick personnel note before we get into tonight's show is that we have had some changes here at Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. Bob Harkins, who did a wonderful job as co-host of the Warehouse with Matt Corey and Chris Stoner is moving on. Uh, we wish Bob best. We enjoyed his contributions immensely. But our uh, friend, Dr. Stephen Loftus, will now be joining that show as co-host starting tomorrow night. So be sure to listen to him, Matt Corey, and Chris Stoner over at the Warehouse as part of Baltimore Sports and Life Radio. And I know that we'll probably have Stephen on again when the draft gets closer, as we did last summer. Um, For tonight's show, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to focus on some of the waiver claims and minor league signings that uh, we have not discussed on previous shows. Before we get into specific players, um, Nick, uh, just kind of general thoughts on the group, at least from what you've seen. I think it's a pretty underrated group, to be totally honest. And we're going to like the first guy we're going to talk about here in in a moment. But I think for me, a lot of these signings kind of go unnoticed or you see people on on Twitter say oh, another another Oriole signing is another Michael Elias type move. And, you know, I, I get that not everybody is hardcore minor league fans like us. Like we're going to be at the ballparks watching these guys and we're going to be excited to watch a lot of these you know minor league signings and Waverly waiver claims. But, you know, when you think about it, the if you're an organization that wants to compete and you want to build your prospects, you need guys like this in your system. Uh, you need these, uh, you know, 30, 31 year old, you know, guys who kind of bounce around from system to system. Yeah, they may not be exciting signings, but you're going to be able to plug them into Norfolk or, or Bowie's pitching staff. And you're going to be able to give, especially in 2021, you're going to be able to give, you know, Michael Bauman and uh, your Zach Lothers and Alexander Wells, all these guys, you're going to be able to give them more rest. Um, you you got to think about that. You need innings behind them. You need reliable arms with these these young top prospects uh, to help them out as well. Because 2021 is going to be a rough year, I think, for a, a lot of people. 
especially pitchers. You're going to see a lot of injuries. And so depth is going to be key this year, especially at the pitching position. So I'm excited to talk about uh, some of these guys and, and see what they can do for us next year. Yeah, it really seems like a decent crop of, you know, take a flyer on a guy who they see potential as, bring him in for spring training, see what they've got, if they can tweak anything to give them that extra boost, which seemed to work out pretty good in the past couple of years since Michael Elias came through. And yeah, I think it's a solid, I mean, minor league free agent. It's never a home run. You'll be lucky if you get one or two guys who make any contribution to your major league team. But just because that doesn't happen doesn't mean they're not useful and they don't play a role in the organization. So yeah, I like, I like what they've done. Maybe they'll still come up with another one or two before spring training kicks off next week. Yeah, certainly a possibility we see more additions. Um, so what we did was we each picked one player that we wanted to highlight and that the three of us are going to discuss. And I'm going to start it off with uh, Aston Goudeau, a right-handed pitcher who has had kind of a roundabout offseason. He was selected off waivers by the Pirates from the Colorado Rockies in November. And then a little less, about two weeks later, the Orioles claimed him off waivers from the Pirates. Um, Goudeau at first, doesn't look like the type of player to really be notable. He made his major league debut last year at age 27. Did not put up very good numbers over four appearances out of the bullpen for the Rockies. But his minor league numbers really suggest that there's more than what meets the eye. Starting with the fact that he had an excellent season at AA Hartford um, in 2019, posting a strikeout rate close to 11 with a walk rate down around 1.4. Uh, he has consistently been a good ground ball pitcher throughout his career. Um, and if you want to look at a number there, it was at about 44% um, at Hartford in 2019. And one website that has been high on Goudeau is Fangrass. He actually ranked 13th in the Rockies farm system prior to the 2019 season, or excuse me, prior to the 2020 season. And it sounded like Aaron Long Eric Longenhagen is still pretty high on him uh, based on some things he's written. So Goudeau, Looks like he could be some interesting bullpen depth as sort of a ground ball pitcher that could work multiple innings. So this is a guy that I'm kind of intrigued to see what he can bring. He's a pretty intriguing guy. I mean, 28 years old, but really took a step up in a nice little jump in 2019. Like you said, seemed like I was doing some reading. He dropped a slider, which wasn't really too effective for him, and he added or he either added or focused on his curveball that really tunneled well with his fastball. And that's when he started seeing the uh, improved statistics and success. Um, he sits around 93 miles an hour. And yeah, I saw him as high as 13 on some prospect rankings. I mean, it's the Rockies. They don't have the deepest system. But still, for a guy approaching uh, 30 years old, you know, that's someone that could really play a decent role in a bullpen at least maybe not to start the year, but he could earn his way up if he continues to show that improvement. Yeah, I think Goudeau's a real outlier here because, like you mentioned, he's a guy you're probably going to overlook if you're just kind of scouting the stat line and looking at, oh, who is this guy? I right, You look at his major league numbers last year with the Rockies, and you'll say, uh, I'm good, I'll move on. But you know, he's probably just a late bloomer guy. Uh, like you said, every national outlet I think was pretty high on Baseball America as well. And Fangraphs both had him in like their top 20, top 25 prospect list, which, like you mentioned, the Rocky system isn't very good. Uh, but, you know, this is a waiver claim for Michael Elias and the Orioles. So, and he fits this new Michael Elias mold, the 6'6", tall, powerful righty. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Log Eric Loggenhagen did note that 
he was genuinely curious why the Rockies didn't give him more looks. I think Eric Loggenhagen seems to be a really big fan of his, which opens my eyes. And then also, if you look at his 2019, he went to the Arizona Fall League. So he's older, again, at the Arizona Fall League for sure. But 13 innings, four hits, no runs, no walks, and 18 strikeouts. Uh, you're still facing elite prospect competition. So yeah, he might've been a bit older, but I think you still got to know what you're doing on the mound to have that kind of success. And I found something interesting uh, that I noted uh, right after they signed him, the Rockies SB Nation uh, website, purplerow.com, did their kind of play review series where they went over every single player that appeared at the major league level last year. And when they did a piece on Godot, they noted that he was sent to the alternate site and recalled three different times last year. So he's up and down all over the place. And in every single game he pitched, the Rockies lost by at least six runs. So like, I'm not even looking at his 2020 numbers and just say that he's been a highly regarded arm for the last few years. And he fits this new Michael Elias mold. And if anything, he's a, a long relief option out of the bullpen next year. And I'm curious to see what he can do. And now that he's not with this, you know, sorry excuse for a team like the Rockies. And now you're, now you're at a real organization. Those had developed pitchers in the Baltimore system. Any issue? He escaped the Pirates, too, so good for him. The thing that really intrigues me about Goudeau um, is that I think regardless of where he pitches, if he's in the majors or he's at Norfolk, he's going to have a pretty good middle infield behind him because you're looking at Yomer Sanchez and Freddie Galvis at the major league level, most likely. And as we've noted on this show a few times, the middle infielders at Norfolk look like they're going to be pretty good no matter what combination you set up. And now you've added Demai Jones previously the Angels to that mix. So he might be a guy that if he can stick that formula of just generating a lot of ground balls, either is in the major leagues and surprises you with what he does, or is in Norfolk doing well and is one of the first to be promoted when the Orioles need bullpen help. And even if his, you know, his peak is just a pretty valuable, solid, long reliever, maybe a guy that can give you a couple innings to extend that gap between the starter and your back into your bullpen he's going to be cost controlled in his prime so it's valuable yeah and usually with these guys you might see like yeah he gets good strikeouts across his career like the next guy we're going to talk about a lot of strikeouts uh you know but you know it's walks walks are a big issue but that's good has got excellent walk numbers throughout his whole career so no, he doesn't walk guys and he gets ground balls. So it's, it's interesting. It's definitely for a waiver claim, like you said, cost the Orioles nothing. So there's real potential for some upside here. Yeah, Nick, uh, about the next pitcher who you have marked down here on an outline and somebody you want to bring up in uh, Connor Green. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, Green, a former top 100 prospect, actually baseball prospectus had him at number 100 exactly in 2016. He's 26 years old now. He's kind of been on this literally a, a wild ride for him. Um, he's walked 343 hitters in 701 minor league innings, which comes out to about four and a half walks per game, you know, which isn't great. Uh, it's kind of ugly numbers. But um, you've also seen home run, the home run rate kind of skyrocket as you reach the upper levels of the minor leagues. But when you look at the scouting reports on him, the guy has a 70-grade fastball on fan graphs. Uh, that I think touched 100 miles an hour in 2019. Um, you know, reports on him coming out of the draft in college, he was throwing in like the upper 80s. So he's added about 10 miles an hour or so to his fastball in these few years in the major leagues or in professional baseball. Um, 
2018, that fastball had a 55 grade. So he's definitely improving. And national evaluators, the scouts like what they see out of him. They like his stuff. I don't. It doesn't seem like it's ever been an issue with his stuff. It's just that control. Um, I mean, just some other highlights. Like in 2018, MLB Pipeline put him as the potential uh, breakout prospect for the St. Louis Cardinals when he was with their organization. So I think we're talking about someone who can throw gas out of the bullpen. He's been mostly a starter, but if he has, if he's someone who has plus secondary pitches, like scouting reports say, and that blazing fastball, I'm curious to see if you stick him in the bullpen, what can he do in, in short outings? And maybe that helps with the, that walk issue. They fixed Tanner Scott last year. So you got a, you got a righty version here in Connor Green, maybe. Yeah, that's the point I was going to bring up. I was going to say plus plus fastball with command issues and an improving breaking ball. Who does that sound like? Uh, yeah, right handed version of Tanner Scott. So maybe it will take a year or two, but I feel like if the Orioles can just sprinkle their pixie dust on this guy, maybe he can eventually be something valuable for us. Uh, he was the number four prospect for the Blue Jays in 2016. And maybe he can regain, regain that prospect status because he's still relatively young for a pitcher. Just twenty six, so. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I think his age is kind of on his side here, and not to mention that, you know, in twenty nineteen it was kind of up and down for him. I'm looking at his numbers out of the bullpen uh, at AAA Omaha, four eleven ERA, which is not bad, but also a nine point four walk per nine innings. So that kind of underscores where the control has been an issue for him, even though that's over a limited sample size. If the Orioles can figure out the control problems. This might turn out to be one of the better uh, pickups of the offseason because the guy throws so hard. And Nick, you mentioned he's been a top 100 prospect before, and he was also once part of a trade package for the Blue Jays to pick up Randall Grittick. So this just tells you this is somebody that has a good pedigree as a prospect. This has not really clicked yet. So I'm kind of hopeful that you know if the Orioles can figure out his control issues, even if it means an extended stint in the minor leagues this year, which is probably going to require that, uh, he could be a good pickup. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is, you start to build that depth. And when you look at like AAA, a lot of these guys are probably going to end up in AAA that we're talking about today. Uh, but we've talked about how that rotation is probably going to be pretty stacked. Uh, so you're looking at guys who, if the Orioles keep them as starters, they're probably going to be like six guy in the rotation uh, to help extend those starters and that workload this year. Or they're going to be guys who come in and work, you know, maybe the beginning of the year. I'm, I'm, Curious to see, you know, if they go with, you know, Zach Lowther's or Michael Bauman's, maybe go your first three starts, only three innings or so. And then you bring in a Godot and Connor Green to throw another three innings behind them and to help increase these guys' workloads. But, I mean, you got a plus-plus fastball here in Green, all the prospect pedigree in the world. Uh, let's see what happens. Like I said, I mean, you keep going back to, like, a, a Tommy Malone, and I know that's, that's probably just this crazy outlier, but the Orioles have done – wonders with a lot of these minor league pitchers so see what we can do with these guys and it would be nice to get the last laugh on the blue jays with randall gritchick if we turn connor green into a back-end reliever that would be nice True. that would be nice I, I still feel like there's a little bit of a rivalry between the orioles and the blue jays even if both teams have kind of faded into obscurity although toronto is on its way out of obscurity now but uh exactly already out but uh, still would be fun to see that rivalry reignited here in the near future. So our next player is one that I know Bob wants to bring up, and it's another guy with an interesting uh, prospect pedigree and a former first rounder and Nick Sufo, the catcher. Yeah, you know, 
It's just, I joked last week when Connor was on that this is going to be our long-term backup catcher for Adley Rutschman. And I don't think it's that far-fetched that that could possibly be the case. He's still only 25 years old, former first-round draft pick, like you said. He's noted for his strong defense and catchers. He's never really hit much in the minor leagues, but catchers' offense tends to development develop a little bit later than other prospects. And I mean, what more do you really need for a backup catcher is someone with good defense and a chance to develop maybe a hit here and there. So he can't do much worse than Austin wins on the 40-man roster. And obviously, Chance Cisco and Pedro Severino, as strong offensively as they were last year, at least for most of the season, defensively, they were not it. And I don't think you want an offense-first, defense-shaky uh, backup catcher for Adley Rutschman. So... That's my case for him. But there's still some potential there. I like when you make a minor league signing. It's not just a 30-year-old who could you know, pitch 10 innings out of relief for your team, but this is a guy that actually could stick around a little bit. Yeah, Pedro Severino could be on the way out. Francisco could even be on the way out uh, if the Orioles maybe can get more out of him. Um, and I think Shufo is a guy that can step up in that role because it's definitely not going to be Austin wins. Uh, I think... Connor made a good point on our last show about uh, when you see guys like who the Orioles used in front of Austin wins, you're, you're was it Taylor Davis and, and other guys on the 40 man roster. Um, but Shufo could be a guy you maybe see on the taxi squad a lot this year with a good spring training. Um, you know, he, the power he's a left-handed hitting power catcher too. And it's like plus raw power that hasn't really turned into game power yet. But so we'll see, like you mentioned, he's still young. He also has three minor league options left, uh, according to Fangraphs. So, I mean, that's somebody that the Orioles could move up and down if they need to. Um, and it's the the arm, the arm. They give him a 70 grade arm on these scouting reports, just outside of the Tampa of Tampa Bay's top 30 prospect list in 2019, which you know is one of the best farm systems in baseball over the last few years. So, how high would be a, how high would he be in, in other teams' organizations? And his whole minor league numbers, I mean, he's throwing out 45% of all base dealers in the minor leagues, which is a phenomenal rate. Um, and if you look at Zips, his, the, his Zips projections, they actually kind of like him, like a half a war player. It's all defense, uh, but they say 85 games, 25 extra base hits, I think pushing double-digit home runs, left-handed power hitter at Camden Yards. He could find find a few out there. But like I said, he's only 25. He's got options. So I think there's value there. We'll see what he can do with the Orioles. But yeah, I, I do like this guy sticking around for a few years here. All right. I'm going to put you guys on the spot with a Nick Sufo trivia question. Um, in September of 2018, in a game between the Orioles and the Rays at Tropicana Field, Nick Sufo hit his first major league home run. Which Oriole surrendered that home run or then Oriole? So I'll give you a hint there. I know I saw. I know I saw somebody post this online. Yeah, I would be guessing completely, but I will say, uh, um, Darren O'Day, twenty eighteen. Nope, twenty eighteen home run. I'm gonna say Bundy. Yeah, it was Dylan Bundy. Nice. Nah, that makes sense. Yeah, he three run homer in the second <laughs> inning. <laughs> three run homer in the second inning um, of a game that the Orioles went on to lose by a total of fourteen to two. And Blake Snell struck out nine over five and a third innings pitch. So typical 2018 Orioles baseball right there. But back to Sufo for a minute. I agree with you guys. This is someone who, you know, again, age is on his side. 25 is relatively young for a player in his position that has major league time. Um, 
And he's someone who has still only had 50 plate appearances at the major league level. So you have to wonder if there's some potential offensively that's not been tapped into yet. We know the defense is really good. Right now, I think with Severino and Cisco on the active roster, um, it's going to be hard for Sufo to make it to Baltimore um, out of the gate. But I think if he can go to Norfolk, do what he does defensively and has done throughout his whole career defensively, and so a little bit more with the bat, we could see him in the major leagues pretty quickly. And, you know, depending on what he shows, I don't think the idea of him being Adley Rutschman's backup catcher in 2022 should be ruled out at all just because what you know he can do defensively. And if he has that experience with the pitchers that will hopefully be in the major leagues in 2022 after time at Norfolk this year, um, that's all the more reason to have him stick around. So this is a signing that I definitely think has some upside. Yeah, definitely. Also saw he had positive... Go ahead, Nick. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I saw he had positive marks with pitch framing which uh, obviously that's good unless they go to the robo-umps. So <laughs> another plus in his favor. I was say, I, when you're reading about him, there's a lot of good articles about there about some of the changes he's made and, and progression he's made and, and just highlighting his arm behind the plate. But I'm more curious. He committed to University of South Carolina when he was 14 years old. So if that doesn't tell you, I mean, apparently his dad played there. Uh, so of course I had a lot to do with it, but. There's also a kid down the street at the high school uh, right down the road from me who just committed to the University of South Carolina, and he's 14 and hadn't even played JV baseball yet. So I think looking into Nick Shufo, actually, I have more questions about South Carolina baseball program. But, um, I mean, yeah, the guy's got pedigree there. There's a, I think he was drafted one pick ahead of Hunter Harvey, too, if I'm not mistaken, if I look that up correctly. Um, I think Hunter Harvey was picked right after him. So you might see them as a battery mate at Camden Yards next year. The final out of the 2024 World Series, Hunter Harvey to Nick Sufo. Yeah, strikeout. So that, that would definitely be something to hope for. Uh, so if you listened to our show last week when we had Connor Newcomb of Locked On Orioles on, you know that we talked about Wade LeBlanc and Felix Hernandez extensively. There are um, two other minor league signings that the Orioles made recently. Bob, though, does have a list of the players that the Orioles picked up, uh, which he's going to run down for us. Yeah, you had uh, Fernando Abad, uh, left-handed pitcher, obviously veteran, 35 years old. I think he was with San Francisco last year. Um, you have Claudio Custodio, a 30-year-old right-handed relief pitcher who was a Yankees prospect as a middle infielder at one point and is now throwing in the upper 90s. Uh, Seth Mahias. Breen, a third baseman, 29 years old. Spencer Watkins, right-handed pitcher, 28, which we'll hear from him in a little bit. Connor Wade, a 29-year-old right-handed pitcher. Dustin Knight, a 30-year-old backflipper. And, of course, we brought back Tom Eshelman, 26 years old, 86-mile-an-hour fastball. Any uh, any comments on these guys? Santos uh, and Fernando Bod makes the team. Mm. I mean, because I'm just throwing it out there because he's a guy that's had a lot of major league time. He's uh, 35. He's been on some decent teams in the past, too, not to mention he's left-handed. So I wouldn't be – somehow it wouldn't shock me if he ended up sneaking his way on the opening day roster, even though the Orioles have a lot of bullpen depth. Yeah, I did notice an interesting, interesting thing about him. In 2019, he really went 
over 50% with his sinker usage, whereas the year before he had a nice even split between his four pitches. So I don't know if that's something that uh, is going to be successful or not, but that is he had a pretty decent year in 2019. So I, I will say he'll probably start in the minor leagues at AAA, but I'm sure he has an opt-out clause somewhere by May. So if he's going to be up, he'll probably be up early in the season. Yeah, like I said, you're going to need so many pitchers this year, especially bullpen arms. I'm sure he makes his debut with the Orioles at some point this year. Um, Knight is interesting just because he's the black, the back flipper. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, apparently, he was at in Richmond in 2018, so that's like right down the road for me. And I'm mad I didn't get to see him uh, pitch, but the numbers are pretty good with Dustin Knight. But he's like he's 30 years old now, so we'll see what he's got. Again, just good depth. Um, Seth Mahia's brain, I was actually familiar with. Uh, he was with the Padres most recently. Uh, he does have some major league experience, got some pop in the bat. I think he plays most positions on the field. So I think that's a one of those key depth kind of a, a Stevie Wilkerson type player, if you will, uh, with power. Who can, James Peterson. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good cop there for him. He's definitely someone who, if the Orioles need to bring him up in an emergency and play some games, if you see Seth Mejia's bring in the starting lineup, like it's – He's worth a watch. He's worth a look at for at least one game. See what can happen. But yeah, some interesting names. Take some walks. Yeah. So we'll see. He's an interesting one. I'm interested in Custodio, this guy who kind of just fell off the map and then came back with a great fastball, apparently. Apparently, he's a great guy, good character. Uh, and then I think the Blue Jays signed him off of like. Uh, some kind of amateur league where he was just blowing people away. So be a good story if he could make it to the majors. And the background of him having been a position player at one point makes that all the more interesting. I'm always intrigued by guys who start out as position players because Custodio is, uh, I'm looking this up right now, age 30. He first started playing in 2010 as a position player um, and hung around the Yankee system for a while but didn't start pitching regularly until 2015. So I'm curious to see if there's a little bit of development left despite his age. Yeah, there's a few of them. And go back to the Rule 5 draft that Ignacio Feliz that the Orioles took from the Padres in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, another former infielder. So see what these guys got, see what they can do. I know I know, Castudo was the guy highlighted by the Cespedes barbecue guys. So he's, he's got some fanfare already coming to the Orioles. And uh, Connor Wade, just to mention him, he had decent numbers throughout the, the minor leagues. Doesn't get many Ks, but he also doesn't walk anybody. It's a fastball, change-up guy. Uh, so plenty of those to go around. Well, now it's time to introduce our guest for this episode of On the Verge. It is uh, Spencer Watkins, right-handed pitcher who was recently signed by the Orioles. Prior to joining the Orioles organization, he was a member of the Detroit Tigers farm system, pitching with them from 2014 through the 2019 season. In 2019, he appeared at three different levels, including High A Lakeland, or High A Lakeland, Double A Erie, and Triple A Toledo. Uh, Spencer is now joining us here. Thank you, Spencer. And how are you doing? Uh, great. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and uh, having me on the show. Happy to be here. So certainly this has been a different off season. How have you been preparing for 2021? <laughs> different for sure. Um, you know, it's, I've, we, we pretty much tried to design it as 
a season, I guess, and take, you know, when the, when spring, we were taken out of spring training and what was that March, um, to kind of treat that as, okay, when I got back and it was like, stay ready concept, it was like, okay, where would I be at in 20, you know, 19, you know, where was I at at that point or 2018 and just kind of continue to build on that kind of routine because that's what we're, I mean, we're creatures of habit and, and routine is so important to us that that was my goal was just to kind of fill that void the best I could, whether it was, you know, facing other professional guys out here in Arizona, which there's plenty of them, or, you know, just continuing my bullpens or, you know, increasing my duration of bullpens and things like that. So just really tried to stay on the same routine I've, I've built in my last, you know, six years prior. So I know that there's a, quite a number of professional baseball players out in Arizona, as you mentioned. Who are some of the ones you've faced in your workouts? Um, so, uh, Jordan Cowan, he's with, uh, the Mariners. Um, he actually is my assistant coach for uh, the youth baseball team that we coach here, uh, in our off seasons. And so we, we faced, I faced him along with, um, Sean Cashmere and, uh, Rio Ruiz actually was a part of one of the groups, uh, that I got to face him. And then, uh, there's a couple other guys, a couple Latin guys with like the Padres here and there. And then the, a ton of pitchers. I mean, uh, Tyler Herb is a guy that I ran into out here, um, old Orioles guy. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a ton of names and ton of guys out here. So the Orioles swing looking? Uh, great. He's looking fantastic. He's 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 a big old dude. That's for sure. Uh, he's a great guy as well. He was you know we got, we got to talk a little bit. Um, really 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 excited to uh, play with him for sure. Still got the cool hair. Oh, of course, looking good. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> So have the Orioles given you uh, details about when you're reporting to camp yet? Uh, yeah, so I spoke with uh, Mr. Qualls, and uh, he had given me a Sunday. By 1 p.m. was when they wanted me reporting for, you know, to begin the COVID protocol that they just released, um, you know, start the testing and a little bit of quarantine um, just to make sure everything's good there and then get rolling with uh, camp days. Nice. So from your perspective, do you think – this is going to be different for everybody, but for you, do you think not having that 2020 season was kind of a bit of a blessing in a way? Like you got to kind of got to reset, uh, work on specific aspects of your game, or do you think going into 2021, it's going to be difficult for you to get back out there on that routine and ready to compete for a major league roster spot in a week? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, I think there's two sides to it because you miss that, that piece of you know, competitiveness going out and competing day in, day out that you're used to doing as a, you know, a high, high profile athlete, you know, in the upper levels of this game. Um, but also it was like you were saying, it was a great opportunity for me to really refine some things and maybe something in some areas I was deficient in, you know, I could really attack and, and take a good chunk of time to develop, whether it be mechanical or pitch design, things like that. Um, so, so I think, I think there's two sides to that really. And, there's a there's definitely a positive and there's definitely a negative. Um, I'm very intrigued to see. I you know I feel great. I feel like I'm going into this camp you know in my best shape and in, in the best position to to win a spot right now. But uh, you know there's yeah I'm interested to see you know how that competitiveness missing all of those innings per se uh, how that's going to kind of translate. Anything in particular that you're looking forward to testing out? In the spring training, see how it goes. So a, a cutter has been in the works for me all, all I guess you could say COVID break. It was it was big going into spring training last year before everything went down. Um, that was a big design for me, just to get something 
to work off my curveball. And um, uh, I was really excited to show that and didn't quite get a chance to, you know, show it in front of the brass. So I've been working on that still, and, and, I'm, and I'm excited to, you know, bring it to camp. Nice. What during your free agency this offseason, what sold you on joining the Baltimore Orioles organization? You know, I think it was the 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 per, the personableness, I guess you could say. Uh, Mike Snyder reached out to me personally, and and uh, you know we we actually had a phone call right that day that he had he had originally reached out and. You know, just talking to him, it was it was really genuine. It wasn't like uh, it was it, it was. It, I felt like he was interested in me as a person and a player, um, not just kind of a filler. You know, kind of something like that. It was he was like, oh, we really like you, who you are as a player and a person. So, um, I think that was a big piece of it that really um, attracted us to to become an Oriole for sure. Now, was it you that reached out to the O's, or did they reach out to you? Um, it was my agent was doing some work behind the scenes kind of throughout the whole duration of all of this, um, you know, doing what he does best and, and promoting myself. Um, but, but yeah, Mike was the one who initiated the, the uh, initial contact. Nice. So as Orioles fans, you, you spend your entire career with the Tigers. Orioles fans, a lot of them probably aren't too familiar with who you are as a pitcher. So if you could give us kind of like your self scouting report, you know, What's in your toolbox, and what do you think some of your biggest strengths are that you're going to bring to the mound for the Orioles? Me as a pitcher, I'm a guy who is going to be there every fifth day. Uh, you know, I, I eat innings. That's that's kind of been what I've what I've you know stuck my pride on uh, throughout my years with the Tigers. Is I've been an inning eater, whether it's been you know at Triple A one week and Single A the next week, kind of a thing. You know, I was there to to fill innings, and that was what I took pride in and, and staying healthy throughout you know, 140 to now potentially 160 game season, um, 62 game season. But um, that that I, I would, you know, I'd call myself a horse, I guess you could say that I, I, I'm in for the long haul. I, I go deep into games. Rarely do you see me come out of games early. Um, you know, I'm going to compete with what I have that day, no matter what, if it's my best, if it's my worst. Uh, and then, uh, you know, my, my strengths as a pitcher is, is with my fastball. I like to ride my fastball, you know, up in the zone. You'll see, you'll see a lot of elevated, a lot, a lot of elevated stuff. Hopefully, a lot of elevated strikeouts, and uh, you know, pitch the curveball, and then I'll show that cutter as well. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a mix the Orioles were like. Um, have the Orioles reached out to you to talk about like, what your role would be in the organization, starter, reliever, or any tweaks they can make, or is that more something that would happen once things get going in spring training? They they have reached out. I've spoken with uh, Chris Holt. Um, you know he's he had a good background on myself that he's watched some tape and some videos. So he he had a good plan uh, for me and kind of what he was wanting with me and certain things here and there that we're gonna we're gonna touch on in spring training. Um, and just to kind of just to kind of accent what my, what I, what my strengths are as a pitcher currently. Um, and then obviously you know to add in the cutter as well. We'll piece all that together, and, and I think we have a good plan. And then with me, they're looking at me as a starter to come in and, and like I said, be be a horse. You know, come and fill innings and eat innings, and and you know have some success for sure. And, and whether it's at the big league level right right away, or whether it's you know in Norfolk for a little bit uh, until the big club needs me, or whether whatever that is, I'm I'm ready. Love it. So Spencer, you uh, have talked a lot about being an innings eater, and it seems like something you definitely take pride in. Do you think that coming off of the pandemic and getting back out in the field, um, what are sort of your expectations for how many innings you're going to throw initially? Do you think you're going to be able to go five, six innings, or 
why don't it be a little shorter than that? Yeah, you know, I mean, in my preparation, as I've done for, you know, the past seven years that I've been a professional, it's I, I prepare myself to go into camp, being ready to throw two innings, and then usually they work us up from there. So um, I'm going in ready to throw two, uh, you know, probably ready to throw three, but two is, I think, in where, they're want, where they're wanting us to be ready to go. And then those first few weeks, we build up and, and work those up-downs, and I – I'll be interesting to see for sure with kind of how if guys miss certain innings that they that they need to you know for to build each year where they're going to put us you know in the start because you know maybe they'll keep us at three maybe they'll keep us at four early on you know they'll 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 dictate that stuff in spring for sure so so we'll see but I, I'm ready to go and I'm ready to you know take on as many innings as they're one as long as as long as I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, you you mentioned so you mentioned being the innings eater guy. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, um, so I wanted to get back is you mentioned Chris Holt, who will be the Orioles pitching coach this year. This is someone that Orioles fans are trying to get to know more about. What have your uh, conversations been like with him so far? Uh, he's extremely prepared. I can tell you that he's he had every bit of you know tape um, already in his in his mind that he has already watched on me. He had uh, TrackMan data, you know, stuff that I didn't even know. He had it prepared and ready for me on the first phone call we had. So he's an extremely prepared guy. He's got he's got an incredible plan. Um, you know, he's he's someone who's he's a leader. He's a guy. He's a guy that guys are going to want to follow and and stick to and, and and trust in what he's got going for us. So I'm excited to get to get to work for him as well as myself because you know, in just talking to the guy, it kind of light, lights a fire under you to to get out there and, and show what you got and, and and see what he can help you with. As Orioles fans, especially Orioles fans who have followed the minor leagues for so long, and especially the major league rotation, that you talking about Chris Holt like that, I think lights a fire under us. I think a lot of <laughs> Orioles fans that listen to the show are going to love that answer. Um, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, um, yeah, he was he was he was fantastic to talk to. I, you know, it's it's it was very it was very exciting. I guess is a good way to put it to to hear him and hear what he had already, you know, from A to A to Z, really, he was, he was top to bottom ready to go. So it was fantastic. I'm excited to, to get out there and work with him. I know I've seen a couple other kind of the younger Orioles prospects who have come in and said like, if they didn't really buy into this whole, like the, the analytical approach to, to pitching now, it's this real science. I mean, it's always kind of been a science, I guess, but just how much you can break a pitch down now, with, you know, looking at, tilt spin axes and all these fancy terms that you hear now and a lot of guys saying like you know eh, that wasn't for me i just like to go out there and pitch tell me what i gotta do and i'll go do it and then you see a lot of other guys saying that when they joined the orioles they've enjoyed looking deeper into this information and seeing what it's done for their game uh kind of what's your experience with this is this something that are you studying these charts and graphs and your track man data or are you kind of where are you at with this this new analytical, yeah. analytical approach so the Tigers, we didn't get too deep into that until really my last year with them. It's when they started really getting advanced with the Rapsodo and everything and, and making that information available to us. And there's a training facility out here that I throw at that has a Rapsodo and TrackMan and all that. So you can get all that data. For me, uh, I love it for pitch design. We know you can really assess the shape and things like that. You know, when you really get into like the horizontal break and stuff like that, Okay, but uh, I'm really focused on, you know, spin direction, things like that. But for me, the real thing is the eye test. So like throwing against live hitters and just talking with the hitters, because that's really, you know, that is really for me what 
what makes the pitch great is the eye test is what what are these guys seeing what are they not seeing type of a thing um you know and like when i when i uh, faced rio i after our at bat i went and talked to them we talked for five minutes about the at bat just to see what he saw certain things or what i saw just to pick each other's brain i think that's really really the the most important thing for me as a pitcher in developing that's cool yeah do you so uh, you from your time oh go ahead nick go ahead bob all right i was just gonna steal one of your questions nick because i like it so much from your time in the eastern and international league were there any orioles hitters who stood out to you when you were facing them rylan bannon rylan bannon for sure he was man dude that is a hard (laughs) guy to get out so I'm, I'm glad I'm with him. Um, he's yeah, he was he was tough. Uh, who else? Um, Mount Castle, Mount Castle was tough as well. Um, that one checks out. Another guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hayes, of course. But uh, who else? Um, I'm trying to think. I always actually had pretty decent games against Bowie or Norfolk. Uh, I'm trying to think of a guy who really had my number. It, it, it would really be Rylan Bannon for sure. Yeah, he was. So weird. I I don't know. I don't know. That's <laughs> that's what I got for him. I don't know. <laughs> Walk us through an at bat with uh, against Rylan Bannon from your perspective. What makes him a tough out? Oh, dude! It I, I it's I felt like he either knew everything that was coming, or he saw everything was coming, or he had t- something tipped that everything was coming. I mean, I just felt like he was on every single pitch I threw. There was never a moment where I was like, I set something up, and I I executed the pitch I needed it to be, and he either spat on it or fouled it off or hit it, you know, off the wall. It, it was it was pretty impressive to see. And I don't know if he maybe he was just super hot that that series. But it was more than one series, so uh, you know, coincidence? I think not. So he was—he was always the toughest one. He was just pesky, man. And it was—if it wasn't a hit, it was a long at bat. It was a—it was a you know pitch count builder. Was, you can't be him. Yeah, he was him. tough for sure. Yeah, there we go. I'm glad. With the Orioles, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. There we go. That's awesome. We're all huge Ryan Banner fans, so that's that's good to hear. Yeah, um, he's—he's a stud. Uh, so I guess I'm curious to know from your perspective, someone who started at the GCL level, you've worked your way all the way up to AAA. Um, what's kind of the hardest level to go from point A to point B? Like what's the hardest jump from your perspective to make? Was it, I think we hear a lot about like going from high A to double A is where you start to see a lot of minor leaguers kind of separate themselves and that's the hardest jump. But is that true in your opinion or? Um, I thought, I thought the jump from double A to triple A was the hardest. Uh, I, I, and that could have been the difference of the baseballs and things like that. But I thought, I thought just the quality of like the consistency of quality in the lineups was the biggest jump from double A to triple A, you know, cause double A you had a lot of young prospects that were really in there in, in, in triple A you had just, you know, a, from one through nine, someone who was either about to be established or has been established and has done it for a long time. And so I thought the biggest jump was from double A to triple A. But um, if you take out the triple A majors side 
everybody always says triple A to majors is the biggest jump, but uh, I would say yeah, high A to double A was a big jump for sure. Any anywhere in that single A range, I thought was very pretty similar. But yeah, the high A to double A was a bigger jump for sure. Nice. Um, going, you spent seven years, six seven years in the Tigers organization. You're a thirtieth round draft pick. Uh, Yet to make your MLB debut. Hopefully, it's with the Orioles. You got fans in us that are pulling for you for sure. It, just going back to 2019, they had the Tigers had you at three different levels. You know, kind of from what keeps you motivated to go out there and keep pushing uh, to achieve that Major League Baseball dream. Oh man, um, just the love for this game. I guess. I, I mean, it, it's it's truly something. It's it's hard to put into words. Really, it's something like. Uh, I guess the best way I can put it is when I'm on a baseball field, it's like a separate place for me. It's like a separate world. It's like, you know, my world kind of a thing. And being, I, there's nothing I love more than being out there besides my beautiful wife, of course. Because um, <laughs> she's sitting right there. Yeah, that's why you said that. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, it's, you know, there's something about baseball that is it's 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 hard to put into words and for me to be able to play it and and have success and along with you know being around incredible guys and that clubhouse atmosphere and competing and things like that you know just I, I guess just the love of the game for me is continuing to be able to play and be a role model you know I coach a lot of kids when I'm home in the off season and and to be a role model for them and, and, and you know show anybody can do it especially coming from you know I was cut from my high school team you know things like that like anybody can become what I am today and you know I think that's a lot of things that drive me and then of course the incredible support I have from family my wife my 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 parents things like that it's friends it's incredible things just things all those things for sure good answer what's the one thing that you wish fans knew more understood more about the life of a minor leaguer and that grind of a minor leaguer the grind i mean the day in day out is you know it's you know they're they're 12 hour days like i mean granted yes we're you know that baseball is a slower sport but you know we're at the field from 11 you know the stuff behind the scenes from 11 till you know 6 p.m and before the seven o'clock start you know we've got all that stuff we got going on whether it's training in the gym and things like that i guess a lot of people don't realize, and from talking, you know, you know, from you know, families and parents, uh, they don't realize how much else goes on. They think we just play a lot of games. You know, it's the it's the how how much of a grind, and, and it, it truly is the preparation that goes into it. And you know, they know they understand the travel. They don't understand the extent of the travel to go along with the continued preparation, and then the games happening right after the travel. So just really that the grind is, I think. Um, Mis, not misunderstood, but I don't think it's 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 been exposed to the to the you know normal people who aren't in this game, you know, and how crazy this this life is, and how crazy awesome and fun it is. Really, should get paid more to do it in the minors. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. You said it. So we have some uh, kind of rapid fire questions here. Uh, for this interview and I'm going to start with Nick. We've got a list of questions here. I'll let him start it off. Yeah. So do you have any uh, pregame rituals or traditions that you stick with? Um, pregame rituals or traditions. Yes. So I always wear black, all black. 
and I have socks that have flowers on them. <laughs> That's what I wear nice. every game day. Every day I'm pitching. It's all black and then my flower socks. Nice. And yeah, it's uh, it's just I've done it ever since pretty much rookie ball. I don't know why. I think it was one of the days it was like the only thing I had. Um, and it's the same pair of socks too. Uh, they're washed, but it's uh, it was like the, probably the only thing I had left in my travel bag. It was a black a black collared shirt and my black pants. And uh, yeah, so I always wear all black and flower socks when I pitch. How about any memorable heckler stories from your career? Um, you know, I think I've been pretty lucky to not have too many hecklers. Um, wow, that's a good one. You know, I don't, I really don't. I'm not, I'm not fun when it comes to that, I guess. I haven't had too many uh, people wear me out. When your teammates were on the mound. Oh, jeez. I don't have those either. I don't know why. I can't recall any, if any, there's been any funny or crazy hecklers. When we were in uh, Brooklyn, that was the first time I really just heard just a bunch of nonsense coming out of people's mouths for no reason. Just, you know, (laughs) random things. It had really nothing to do with the game or just they were just talking to talk or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I can't really recall any. I don't have really any special hecklers or anything. Oh, actually, I do. So... (laughs) This was in Lakeland. Um, this actually involves my wife, not me or anybody on the team. <laughs> I was in Lakeland, and um, my wife was visiting, and she was my fiance at the time. I think, yeah, fiance. And uh, she was sitting in like the third row, and there were people in the front row or in the second row, maybe. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Florida State League game, but there's no fans. There's like maybe 25 fans in these big spring training stadiums, and. Uh, Anyway, so so there's a lady in front of her who's I guess I guess was talking crap about me or you know I walked a guy or whatever and was saying stuff. And so my wife got ended up, you know, firing back at her with something and I in my respectfully firing back at her and they got into a little, you know, heated little thing and obviously the whole stadium could hear. I couldn't hear. I was pitching. But and then my my manager called me and Mike Rebella called me into the office after and was like, uh, was that your wife getting going at? And it was like an older lady. He's like, that your wife going at an older lady in the stands? Uh, so yeah, that's, 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 I think that's the only one I got, but, uh, yeah, she's, when I, when I pitch, she's, she's nervous as can be. So, you know, she's, she's, uh, she said she told her to be kind. That's what she was but, uh, you made it sound like yeah. I fought this lady. Yeah. <laughs> She's uh she's very supportive of me. That's awesome. What's the best minor league stadium say. you've played in, home or road? Best minor league stadium, uh, Charlotte Knights. Charlotte Knights for sure. Not a great stadium to pitch in by any means. It is tiny. I think I gave up like four jacks in one game there, um, and it's you know wind blowing out, but it's absolutely gorgeous incredible stadium yeah i feel like i've heard that go there one time yeah i never got to play in hartford when i was in erie i heard that one's really really nice as well but yeah charlotte knights for sure yes if you could change one rule in baseball what would it be oh one rule in baseball um 
a good one. I, I, I'd stick with that DH rule. Keep it the universal DH. I'm not a big fan of hitting. <laughs> you know, if we stay under 80, I'm good. But you know, you know, I, I'd rather not face 95. So, you know, so it, I, I would say universal DH. Nice. I was gonna say, uh, I, after you got signed and researching you and learning more about you, you didn't start pitching until you were like your senior year of high school, I think. Is that right? right? Yeah. So, and you were you were a catcher, you were a hitter first. So there's no like. No plans of if, if pitching doesn't work out with the Orioles, you're like going to be like Adley Rutschman's backup for us or anything like that. Yeah, right. Uh, defensively, for sure. That was that was my strength. I was always defensive first. Um, but yeah, the the bat could never came around. So senior year, they were like, let's take that out of your hands and give you a ball. So um, yeah, so that's when it started. But you know, yeah, I'm I'm happy to hop in defensively for sure. <laughs> You know, a lot of free time on your hands during this pandemic, this whole year. Do you have any recommendations for movies, TV, or video games? Um, my wife and I watched, well, video games for sure, Warzone. And I'm not a video game guy at all. I bought a PlayStation just to play Warzone. Because my friends were like saying, actually, Zach Houston with the Tigers, he was he got me onto it. And um, yeah, we've been, I've been playing a ton of that. Uh, and then... Right on like netflix wise shows um we don't watch I, we're we're both super busy my wife works uh she works for square um the square online the website design stuff she does website support tech um and then i you know i coach multi i coach two different teams while i'm here so we're always super busy but uh we watched uh we're right now we're watching firefly lane which is quite interesting not not bad not bad, not great. Cool, not bad. have to check it out. Yeah, for sure. Vampire Diaries. She said Vampire Diaries, <laughs> but I, no. We'll see, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> did you pick up, speaking of the pandemic pandemic life, did you pick up any uh, any new skills or hobbies? You know, the, the whole bread stuff, uh, whatever, that everybody, we were all supposed to learn during the pandemic. Did, did you pick up anything? Uh, any new hobbies? <laughs> Hmm. Taking care of a. It's a good giant. question. Uh, we yeah. got a new dog. Yeah, we've got two dogs now, so that's kind of a hobby in itself. Taking care of them, um, and we're we're in a townhome, so we don't have a backyard. So, you know, having to take them in and out becomes a hobby for sure. But uh, the new hobby definitely would be playing Warzone, because that was <laughs> not a. Th- I did not play video games before the pandemic for sure. Take your PlayStation with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's coming with. Yeah, for sure. There's going to be plenty of downtime. Definitely. So it'll be (laughs) FaceTime and and Warzone for sure. Nice. Um, Following the Tiger system, I I, I enjoy watching a lot of those prospects that 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 system had. What's the one? Who is the one Tigers pitching prospect you would never want to step in the batter's box against? Uh, Matt Manning. That guy is electric. He's, he's impressive, and, and I've been lucky enough to kind of be with him as he's gone up, you know, through, you know, West Michigan to Erie, uh, and, you know, he's, he's an incredible guy first off, but an incredible teammate, but um, he's, as a pitcher, he's just electric, and he's at, the, I think he's got an incredible ceiling, <clears throat> incredible ceiling, excuse me, um, he's just barely at the, at the, at the base of what he can accomplish right now, and, and he's, 
he, for sure. Casey Mize as well. He's impressive. I mean, good luck. But uh, <laughs> Matt Manning for sure. He's he's pretty he's pretty incredible. And so, Spencer, I know you're on Twitter. Can you uh, tell our listeners where they can give you a follow? Uh, yeah, at Spencer Wat- Spencer underscore Watkins, but with zero uh, vowels. <laughs> Just S-P-N-S-R underscore W-T-K-N-S. Well, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us uh, tonight. Uh, and we're really going to be pulling for you this year. Anything uh, else you want to say to the Orioles fans? Uh, I'm excited to be in O. Like I was saying, I, I felt the love right, you know, right away when I spoke with Mike and, and I've been feeling the love from you guys as well as the, you know, the fan base. And, and, you know, I'm excited to show, you know, who I am and what I've built, you know, in the last seven years, you know, all leading up to this. So, um, go O's. I'm excited to be here for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us and our listeners, uh, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Verge. Visit BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for the latest stories there and hop on the message board. We'll be back next week with a look at college baseball and as well as some Orioles spring training talk. But uh, thank you to Spencer Watkins for joining us tonight. And for Nick Stevens and Bob Phelan, this is Zach Spedden. You're listening to On the Verge. <laughs>